0: Yo, yo, what's up, everyone? Welcome back. Pete Forsey, the podcast. We got episode nine here. And I'm going to begin in a little bit of a different way. I'm going to begin with a thank you. For those that are listening, those that are listeners to the Talking Schmidt podcast hosted by Daniel Schmidt that are joining this podcast for the first time, first of all, thank you guys for clicking play. I think uh, I think we might have something here that you guys enjoy. A lot of sports talk. Um, I'd love to bend your ear and uh, talk some football, talk some baseball, whatever whatever else is going on. So I, I, I thank you for shifting over, and I also thank Daniel. Daniel, thank you for uh, directing people here, letting them know what I got going on. Um, I'm going to do the same here, a little cross-pollination. For those of you that listen to this podcast, many of you probably know Daniel. Uh, for those that don't, he has a great podcast going. He's been doing it for a few years now, and he is an all-encompassing podcast he talks sports obviously he's from st louis so he talks a lot of the local stuff mizzou cardinals blues he'll even go in on the nfl a little bit even though he uh well he has some some overall thoughts on the nfl since uh the Rams shifted from st louis to la he also talks a lot of other stuff he talks television he talks hobbies he's really just a storyteller when it's all said and done and he's a good one He's in a great setting right now. He is from St. Louis, but he's now in Chicago, and I cannot wait to hear what he has to say now, but also specifically in the summer because I – For any of you that have been to Chicago, there may not be a better summer city. And, uh, yeah, he's going to be having stories uh, in abundance. So, Daniel, thank you for those that have shifted over. Thank you for uh, letting them know about it. And now let's get on to Episode 9 of the podcast. I'm going to kick things off with Missouri quarterback, or former Missouri quarterback, Drew Locke, and his status in the NFL draft. This is probably something I should have hit earlier much earlier once the end the end of the NFL season had uh, come to a close. But, you know, with Kyler Murray and the Arizona Cardinals just providing us so much information, so many headlines, I had to hit on him first. However, there is a quarterback that I'm sure many of you listeners are interested in because you are – Kansas City, St. Louis Natives, and you're interested in Missouri quarterback Drew Locke. So that's something I'm going to break down now, how I think he will end up in the NFL, what I think his trajectory is, um, how I think he's going to fare out. Drew Locke, I've watched pretty much most of his games uh, Missouri Mizzou football this past year I did not watch as much as I typically do um, just from a scheduling standpoint I was busier uh, again you already know I'm more of an NFL guy but I have gone back and watched uh, a lot of his games now and seen how he's see how he fared in uh, 2018 under Derek Dooley uh, there were some adjustments I think basically what Dooley ran for him was much more conducive for not only the college game but also his strengths you know the thing with Heupel was that he was just asking way too much of Drew Locke, putting way too much on his plate, asking him to make pretty much just way too many sophisticated throws that were big, chunk, explosive plays that were conducive maybe for the offense, but really just you know asking a kid to do too much that he's frankly not ready for. I think this was much better for Drew. Um, still played at a very high level, completed a lot of passes, threw a lot of touchdowns. However, at the NFL level, I don't really see Drew reaching that elite status that he's physically capable of doing, both talent and skill. And there's, there's just been way too many times I've seen his deficiencies been aired out that have been on display. He's got a lot of good qualities. The guy has supreme arm strength. He's got a very easy release, very natural thrower of the football And he's definitely got some deep ball potency. He can throw some missiles. He can throw some darts that can wow you. Um, He keeps his eyes up. You know, I don't really see a guy who's scared in the pocket. He doesn't have great pocket awareness, but he definitely doesn't get uh, wide-eyed, I don't think. Um, Some of that has been he hasn't really been challenged too much in the pocket because they've been getting the ball out of his hands pretty quickly here, at least in 2018, pretty well. But too many of his weaknesses have showed up. And I'm going to refer you to a YouTube clip because I remember watching this game this past year in 2018. It was the Tennessee Mizzou game. Uh, Mizzou went on to win that game very handily, but there was a play that I was sitting at home watching and I said, man, everybody loves this play. Like the announcers, Gary Danielson, it was CBS. He was wowing over it. And I'm sure everybody else who was watching it said, wow, what a throw, put it through a keyhole. The physical talents of drew Locke on display. And I just sat there thinking, and this is me in a nutshell. Forcey doesn't like any fun. But all I could think about is how that throw, that wow of talent, is probably the worst thing that could have happened to him. It's the worst thing that could have happened to him that he executed the play. Because he didn't execute it correctly. At the NFL level, this play... I'm going, to give you the, uh, I'm going to give you the YouTube time here so you can check it out. Again, this is just the Tennessee-Mizzou game, 2018. I think the clip is it's about 10 minutes long. Uh, it's like Drew Locke highlights. But I remember watching this live. Go to YouTube, 8.06 on the YouTube clock. It's 10.36 on the game clock. In the throw, while it was completed and it was put through a tight window, what it does is just give you this illusion that Drew Locke, while he is talented and physically and skilled, he didn't make the throw correctly. He didn't put enough air under the throw. He didn't lead his receiver, Emmanuel Hall, further enough up the field so he could run and catch and score a touchdown. Emmanuel Hall should add a touchdown on that play. And he didn't put it away from the cornerback who wasn't playing the, uh, the ball well at all. If he would have just turned around, through his hand up, he would have knocked it away. Drew Locke didn't put the throw at the right trajectory. The plane of the throw was not correct. So while we look at that play, just, you know, on the surface there, we may say, wow, what a play. Gosh, Drew Locke, how many people can do that? And the answer would be not many. But it's also not the right play. And I'm not going to get all up in arms over one throw, but it's stuff like that that I've seen over and over from Drew Locke that I think could be his detriment. It's a bit of an Aaron Rodgers factor. I remember watching the game in Seattle with the Packers. It was a Thursday night game, prime time, maybe it was Monday. Packers, Seahawks this past year. And you just see Aaron Rodgers just being way too liberal with his physical gifts, his footwork, his arm talent. And sometimes when you're not a tactician fundamentally, like a Drew Brees, Peyton Manning, Tom Brady, those guys who... Are so diligent at repeating things over and over and over the correct way, the consistent way. It it can be it can lead to poor plays, and that's what I'm afraid of with Drew Locke. And the problem is is how do you tell him not to do that? He has those physical tools. He can point to plays like the Tennessee game and such and say, "Really, coach? Like you, you don't you you want me to do it differently?" There's not a throw that. I can't make. I, I can make every throw on the field, which is true, but it's the consistent level. We, we, you know, if you're not in the same camp as me right now, you can't say the game is a game of inches because that's what I'm talking about here. Those that say the game is a game of inches will probably reside in my position because it's plays like that. I saw it in the Seattle game with Aaron Rodgers, and I think that's what I'm going to see with Drew Locke. I'm going to see plays that will wow me but it's not the consistent, reliable way to do it. I think he's going to be good at the NFL, but I don't think he's going to reach elite status. Check out the YouTube clip that I just gave you. Again, on the YouTube clock, 8.06, give it a look. I want to know your uh, your thoughts on this. Hit up the text line. I haven't been uh, reaching that out enough. I want you to hit up the text line. You can also leave a message. You can call it as well. Hit up the text line, 816-226-7483. Again, that's 816 816- 7483. Tell me what you think about Drew Locke in the NFL. So I watched the Antonio Brown sit down that ESPN put on last Saturday. I watched that earlier this week, and rest assured, I'm not going to bore you guys with Antonio's behavior and how I sh- think he should have handled it or what he did wrong. I, I look, I've hit that enough already on this podcast. You know what I think. I think you should always put the team first. There's a way to conduct business behind closed doors that ultimately will more than likely get to get you to where you want to be. Uh, I don't think he's done that uh, in the best manner so far. Uh, I, I do have a couple things to say about it, but namely I'm going to get to the trade suitors because it sounds like via Ian Rapoport of NFL Network, by the time you guys listen to this, he may have already been traded. I'm recording this on Thursday afternoon, but sounds like by the end of the day Friday, he could be with a new organization. So I'm going to dive into that. But the first things I want to say about the sit-down that Antonio Brown had with ESPN was basically just a continuation of his ambivalence. Um, you know, he says one thing, but then he contradicts himself. He says he loves football for teamwork, um, but then, you know, he says his new franchise is going to meet his demands, which doesn't really sound very teamwork-ish to me. And then he goes on to say that um, – You know, I don't need football. I don't need to play this, so that's not exactly a ringing endorsement to your hard work. Even though he is a very hard worker, um, we've seen that countless amount of times over with the Steelers and the people that covered the the team there. Uh, But then also, it's just you know, he says he doesn't mean any disrespect to Ben uh, or the Steelers organization, but then he trashes them on the chop or the shop, um, you know, LeBron James's thing that aired. I guess, was it the night before and it maybe had been recorded beforehand. But anyway, he says no disrespect, but then we have another avenue to where he just blasts him, uh, you know, to the public once again. So it's kind of just this idea where, you know, you say one thing, but then you, you totally contradict it. But again, I'm kind of over that. And the more, the one thing that I want to hit the head on here with this ESPN thing was this Jeff Darlington. Oh my gosh. Did that guy have a rough day at the office conducting this interview? I like. I mean, from the jump, you could just tell this guy was like fanboying all over Antonio Brown. He thought it was so cool to be like hanging out with him, and I've kind of touched on this already with media nowadays. Seems like they're just trying to like be pals with the people that they cover and trying to connect with them. And ESPN, which is just becoming more and more unbearable, is just like epitomizing that. They, it's just like Josina Anderson. Jeff Darlington, um, you know, a couple of them are escaping me now, but th- there's just fewer and fewer Lewis Riddick's on ESPN. Lewis Riddick, I love. I think he's great. He's just objective analysis, knows how to conduct interviews, knows his stuff. It's awesome. He's basically the only reason I tune in now. Everybody else is just like, you know, just trying to be pop culture. Uh, you know, yuck it up with the, the player that I'm interviewing. And Jeff Darlington was doing it the entire time during this interview. Like, at one point, his voice was changing, like trying to, in a desperate attempt, relate to to Antonio Brown. And I was like, man, dude, you are pathetic. He was giving the most, like, rudimentary questions you could, uh, you could ask. At one point, he, he asked Antonio Brown, when did you know you were destined for greatness? I was like, bro, come on, like... This, this is ridiculous. I mean, this isn't like the first time Antonio Brown got good and now he's a star in the league. Like, this is about him and his breakup with the Steelers. Um, I mean, just some really bad questions um, going all the way back to when he was a sixth-round pick. It's like, Jeff, we are so far past this. Cut, cut to the chase here. This is about A.B. and the Steelers. It was like a 45-minute uh, interview. Wouldn't be surprised if you guys didn't all watch it because the first half was just, like, stupid. Uh, it could have been done in about, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes. But that that's what I have to say about that. Mainly I want to get to where I think he's going to land because Antonio Brown is still an excellent player. He's a bit of a headache, but, you know, his talent still outweighs that. There are still certain organizations that should take him on. Uh, there are some that won't. I don't think it's a – it's not a limited pool, but there are only some that make sense for both the team that's getting an Antonio Brown – and for the Steelers sending them this way. There are plenty of teams that do not for the Steelers. That just are like non-starters. Browns, Ravens, Bengals. Like, I think they all could use him. And they all have the financial muscle to do it. But you just, you don't do that. I, I would not do that. They're, they're, it's just a non-starter. I don't know any scenario in which a return would be great enough for that. So, um, yeah, we'll start with the AFC teams. Teams that I think you can trade him to, and you don't, you won't, you shouldn't be afraid that he gets burned, or or you should not be afraid that you will get burned in that regard. And I think that starts with the Oakland Raiders. There's been a lot of talk about them, um, and it makes a lot of sense. 61 million in cap space. I think Antonio is a Gruden grinder. I think he's a Gruden type of guy. He's a hard worker. Gruden wants someone that loves football, and now you got Antonio Brown saying he doesn't need football. But at its core, I think he does like football, and he practices very hard. That's always been something that's been reported. The only question now is, with Antonio Brown, is he going to be willing to practice hurt? Because the whole thing with the Steelers breakup was that, hey, coach, I'm sore, and then Tomlin sent him home. So it's kind of like, well... Do you practice hard only when it's on your terms and when you're feeling good? I don't know. I think though it's worth experimenting with the Raiders. They got the cap space, and Gruden has always been about bringing in guys that love football and that want to play, uh, want to play hurt. So Antonio, he brings some question marks in that regard. But there, there's like conflicting evidence. You know, he he works hard, uh, but then you know the breakup with the Steelers maybe it was calculated. He says, "Yo, I'm sore," and uh, yeah, we know it from there. He didn't report in Week 17. Next up, I think the Tennessee Titans, they should do, the Steelers, should try and trade him to the Tennessee Titans, okay? They got the cap space, $45 million, and you will rest assured he will not be a factor for the Titans. Will there be some splash plays? Yeah. Will you get some notifications on your phone on Sunday about a huge touchdown pass from Mariota to, to AB that lands at about the, I don't know, 25-yard line, and then AB rips it off the rest of the way? Yeah, you will see that, but when it's... In the Inside the red zone, where Mariota won't even attempt to pass and is totally gun-shy when the throwing lanes are condensed, is not going to be a factor. I can see it right now. AB is going to be wide open in the end zone, and Mariota's going to miss him. He's going to, like, scramble to the other side of the field. A.B.'s going to throw his head back, and he's going to be M.F.'ing the guy all the way back to the sideline. I, you can rest assured he will not be a factor on the Titans. Marcus Mariota will take care of that. Heading over to the other league, I think there's plenty of suitors. Plenty of suitors, and I think you could really you really should watch your eye on the Philadelphia Eagles. $20 million in cap space, not a lot. However, they're going to cut Jason Peters. $11 million will uh, free up on the books. That will make it more financially feasible. I think they have to make a couple more moves for it to happen. However, the Eagles are known to be willing to trade. They will wheel and deal. Howie Roseman, general manager of Philadelphia, he will wheel and deal, keep an eye on them. 49 or 66 million in cap space, they're being very quiet, almost too quiet. Now, they may not have interest. John Lynch has always been a culture guy. I remember reading Jay Glazer of The Athletic. He had a sit-down with Lynch, and Lynch, uh, you know, caught my attention because I totally agree with it. He said, when you're trying to change the culture, everything matters, which is so true. Everything matters. And he pointed out that when he got to the 49ers, he walked through, like, the – the locker rooms and the training facilities. And he already saw pictures of guys who had been there for like a year and a half. And John said, what the hell? And then he ordered the, like, you know, I don't know the maintenance people to take it down. He said, you know, you, you get, that's something you got to earn. You don't just show up day one. And then after, um, you know, a full calendar year being there, you got your picture on the wall. So, with that being said, I don't know. Is this something John Lynch wants to uh, take on Antonio Brown and how he's going about it? Maybe, if he's talented enough, but just keep an eye on it. They're being quiet, and I don't know exactly how to read it. Washington Redskins, they got about $16 million in cap space. Not a lot. They're going to have to cut Norman. That'll be $6 million against the dead cap, though. That six mil, they won't get back. I'm not sure they're willing to do that. Another sneaky one, Green Bay Packers. They got about 30 million in cap space right now. However, they really got to shore up their defense every level, linebacker, cornerback, defensive line, uh, specifically uh, pass rusher. I mean, they got a lot of work to do. I don't know if they can really They'd have to do some wiggling around and I'm just not sure if they want to do it with anyone currently on the roster if they don't if there's anyone that they really want to cut. And it's really just not a Brian Gutkiss, the general manager. It's just not really his his way of doing business. So I don't know. Would he be great for the Packers? Absolutely. I would love to see a Raj and a B hooking up one team that I think should do it and will be all to, you know, the happiness of all the fans of Cameron Newton who may not be on the field, but he very well could be as well. It's hard to, hard to gauge at this, uh, at this moment, 15 million in cap space for the Carolina Panthers. Um, you know, there's an A-B cap hit about 22, so they, they got to get creative there. They can't just, you know, it's not something they can do at the moment. They got to have a plan in place. But, gosh, all the people who just clamor for the Panthers to go get a number one wide receiver for Cam. He doesn't have any help. Well, first off, uh, I've always thought he had some pretty good players, some pretty good pass catchers on his team. Are they wide receivers? No, at least not by technicality. Christian McCaffrey, Greg Olson, well, they're pass catchers, and they're pretty doggone good. But all those people who think you can also just go get a number one receiver, you know, at the grocery store, just pick it up off the shelf, well, that's just not the case, okay? Number one wide receivers, there's probably like five in the NFL, and now one is available. So for all the fans out there, I think this should be the move you want to make. And if the Panthers are as gung-ho on this as their fans, they should make it too. You should make it work. I think maybe Kawan Short, a guy who kind of underperformed on his contract last year, you might explore seeing how you could get him off the books. Um, However, you know, there's, you know, the wiggle room, it's doable, but it's going to be tough. The Panthers should explore it. I think those are all the teams that AB could land on, at least feasibly. Other people could enter the fray. Um, I think it's just more unlikely to happen due to the Steelers not wanting to execute it because you're a team that they could line up and play Jets and Colts sorry those are culture teams Adam Gaze famously said it Colts famously noted it when they made it to the playoffs this year I don't really see that happening they have financial bandwidth to go other directions I think these are the teams that Antonio Brown likely lands on hit up that text line again 816-226-7483 where do you think AB is going to land in the NFL in 2019 dropping back to the draft once again we had the combine this past week i'm uh, i like the combine i know a lot of people think that measurements and they call it the underwear olympics and they think it doesn't really have a whole lot of value i i don't really understand why people conclude that if there was no val- value to it coaches and teams like they wouldn't do it There is value to gaining these measurements because what it does is it allows you to uh, take things into account that maybe the tape doesn't allow you to do. So with that being said, you know, I I don't watch the combine necessarily um, just because when someone runs a 40 yard dash, I don't need to see it. I just need to know the time. As far as the drills, there is some value to it and I'll check in on those. But there's only so much you can really take away from someone going against air. Specifically, when the quarterbacks throw, it's I I like I don't even care. I was watching this Dwayne Haskins guy, and he was just casually popping them in there, throwing slants to the to the pass catchers, and I was like, you know, I I I got to see you on tape. You know, I I don't care about just seeing you in a in a scripted uh, practice right there. However, there was a huge takeaway. The huge takeaway being Kyler Murray, which I've talked about Kyler Murray on this podcast quite a bit, more than I even really thought I. Would would be. But big big news after I uh I landed I was on an airplane and I was greeted to the news after hopping off the airplane that he measured it in at five ten. Five feet ten inches. Big two hundred and seven pounds. Um forget the hand size but it was uh or was it nine and a quarter? Yeah, no it was it was average, you know, big enough for what uh NFL folks think ball security uh needs. So big day for Kyler. And now it seems to be shifting Kyler Murray and his draft status to number one overall. This Cardinals thing, a lot of people think a whole lot of smoke and they believe it. There's a fire. And, you know, I last week I talked about trade suitors, if it were the case, just because it was interesting. But I'm not, you know, getting fooled into thinking that this is a done deal. I was with a friend this past weekend, and we were talking about the whole thing. And he said, oh, yeah, man, it's a done deal. He's going number one overall. He's going to the Cardinals. Uh, you know, you heard it here first. And he, he had a couple Bezos. Um, but then again, he repeated it the next day, and he doubled down and said, Kyler Murray, Arizona Cardinal, number one overall. So we will see. I'm not ready to go where my friend went. Because there's just – these things go down to the wire, man. Number one picks, especially number one overall, like those things go down to the wire, like night before type things. Like like I'm the general manager and I'm sleeping on it. There's so many things to take into account that to think that at this moment the Cardinals know they're taking Kyler, no. I mean, just, just no. Like they drafted Rosen last year in the first round. They know he's very incomplete as far as a uh, a conclusion on him and what he is as a quarterback. But certainly are they weighing are they weighing the idea of taking Kyler Murray? Yeah, because they got a coach in place that recruited him knows how to tailor an offense to his strengths better than probably most that are currently in the NFL. So yeah, they're weighing it, but it is far far from a done deal. And the tape is great, I think. However, there are some folks that are just, you know, speaking out on Kyler Murray and giving him a lot of praise. And I was listening to a podcast earlier this week, a former Eagles scout who worked with Brett Veach, and he mentioned how Brett Veach at the Combine said that Kyler Murray makes Mahomes-esque throws. And he was saying this guy on the podcast, he was saying, well, if Brett Veach says that, you know, that's a pretty ringing endorsement. And Sean Payton would also, at the Combine, say Kyler Murray's tape is, quote, too good. And my thing with this is you need to look at who's doing the talking here. Sean Payton, he has Drew Drew Brees at quarterback, and Brett Veach, Patrick Mahomes. Guys, of course they're going to give him a ringing endorsement. If they were thinking about drafting him, they wouldn't be saying anything about him other than that good guy, good player, had a good college career, and that's it. If they were thinking about drafting him. But when you're not drafting a guy, there's no reason to knock him down. I mean, you you can say whatever the hell you want about him. Yeah, you can you can say the tape is too good, man. Man, it's too good. Mahomes escalator, I mean, it's just like... what. I don't take anything from that because there's no reason to knock the do- knock the guy down. If you were thinking about drafting him, you wouldn't say that because you wouldn't want to overplay your hand. So let's just pump the brakes on Kyler Murray, both the idea that he's going number one overall, and also just the prospect in general. Like, look today or last Thursday was a big day. Five ten. I think Kyler Murray can be a very I think he'd be a good player, but this, like, the tape is too good, and then we we don't even know, you know, how he'll handle, like, study ha- habits at the NFL. Like, you know, I know Charles Casterly came out later this week and said that the the, the meetings were were pretty bre- bad. You can't really take that uh, with too much credence just because you don't know. I mean, it's one report. Now, the guy's been a general manager for, for Super Bowl teams over with the Redskins, however, You just don't know. My point of all this is let's pump the brakes specifically on number one overall. Let's also pump the brakes on how good this guy is based off what other teams are saying. Because the two two of the glowing reviews from general managers and a head coach this week are from teams that don't need him. What the hell else are they going to say? Kyler Murray's going to have a good NFL career, I think. Five ten is plenty big. Due to his skill set, I think he can evade the pocket and make plenty of throws. But let's just pump the brakes on number one overall. And what else is coming from the NFL Combine? (laughs) Tape is too good. Give me a break, Sean. Sean, if the tape is too good, does that mean you're going to draft Kyler Murray? Thinking about moving up for him? Oh, well, you know, we we like Drew Brees. Think he's got a, a lot of great years left in him. Oh, well, I guess the tape isn't that good then, is it, Sean. You, you got to take a grain of salt. You got to always look at who's doing the talking. Um, I was just, I was laughing over that. 5-10 is a big deal for Kyler, but let's uh, pump the brakes here once again. And I will pump the brakes. I will move on. I go from the draft to the NFL to the draft back to the NFL, talking more free agency. Specifically, another levy on Bell. And I want to talk about, because I'm in Chiefs country here. I'm in the kingdom, as they call it. And there's been some reports, specifically Chris Jones, who I've met. He's a funny guy. He uh, He's with Antonio, or no, Le'Veon Bell. They're down in Florida, hanging out and posted a video. And they're all like, you know, what if, man? What, you know, Chiefs, blah, 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 yada, 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 what they do on the Internet. And there seems to be, like, a grown belief, like, man, this could happen. Le'Veon Bell could be a Chief, and gosh... Can you imagine that offense 80 to 74 the games would be in. It's just like guys Brett Veach maybe he's thrown the idea out there, but when it's all said and done, this is not happening. This is not happening. The Chiefs have 9 million in cap space. Yes, they're cutting Justin Houston, that will free up 14 mil. They'll then have 23. However, there's about 9 million that needs to go to draft picks. And there's also a cornerback, safety, linebacker, and defensive tackle that need to be upgraded on the current roster. There are too many needs on the defensive side of the ball. And oh, by the way, you're losing your center, Mitch Morse. You got to pay Tyreek Hill. Maybe you can do it in a way that frees up cap space via signing bonus, and then uh, lowers the uh, lowers the cap hit. Guys, this isn't happening. Running and and let's not forget, Le'Veon Bell sat out the 2018 season. Why? Because the whole premise of him sitting out was that no team was meeting his demands, or excuse me, the Steelers weren't meeting his demands, and that he wasn't going to settle for anything less than his value. Do you think he's uh, think he's changing those plans now? I talked about it uh, on an earlier podcast. I think it's going to take like damn near sixty million up front to get this cat. Or Excuse me, it's not sixty million up front, but over uh, over three years. He wants to quote set, set records at the running back position. He thinks he's uh, Steph Curry, changing the game. He also said if if uh, if a team doesn't meet those needs, he he'll just retire. He doesn't need football. Yeah, he said that before a playoff game back when he was a Steeler during the uh, during January 2018. Lebeon's not going to be a Chief. Do I think Brett Veach has pondered the idea, hey, can we make this work? Yeah, I think he's throwing it out there. It's not happening. It's not happening. How did the Chiefs miss out on the Super Bowl this past year? Granted, yes, they were in the AFC Championship game. I'm not going to knock the formula too much. But they missed out on it because they couldn't keep the Patriots off the field during the very first drive of the game. There's too much that needs to be done in other areas of the field. Stop slobbering over the idea of Le'Veon Bell. It's not happening. He'll be playing elsewhere next season. Additional news that hit me when I got off the plane last Thursday was that Bryce Harper is now a Philadelphia Philly. If you had listened to last week's podcast, you probably listened to it after the fact. When Bryce signed, I thought that he was going to go to the San Francisco Giants. It sounded like that was picking up steam, and it sounded like they offered him a 12-year deal, and they were willing to go higher. However, at that point, the Phillies had put the better offer on the table. It was 330 million, 10 years, and or excuse me, 13 years. And Bryce Harper will be in Philadelphia through the age 39 season, barring a trade. There are no opt-outs on the deal. And I immediately tweeted it out. I was sitting down to a meal in El Paso, Texas. I was sitting down to a nice uh, uh, Mexican meal, chips and salsa, few margaritas, and I was just thinking, you know, you know, good deal for Bryce. He's gonna be in Philadelphia. He Has the largest free agent contract ever. Um, you know, obviously getting a ton of money, and it's a good fit from a from a team standpoint. I remember when the reports came out that him and Kapler. It didn't seem like a fit, at least in Bryce's eyes. That's what a couple of their reports said from John Heyman. But then, of course, Harper endorses his manager uh, as early as the initial press conference. So I always thought it would be a fit between him and Kapler, both very type A, both very intense baseball rats. I'm happy to see what goes on with the Phillies. However, I was tweeting this out, and it caught the eyes of a... (laughs) a couple of my bigger adversaries on Twitter. Hardy Cox, Eric Korth, guys that – they're Mizzou guys. Know them from there. Um, Basically, you know, I contact these guys once a year annually. I tell them that Barry Bonds has no place in the Hall of Fame. They fire back with his career war and the fact that he's never failed a drug test. Um, And, yeah, we go back and forth. But we also talk sports. They like to fire back on some of my comments, and they certainly did with this one when I was talking Bryce contract. And how I thought, this is a loss for Boris. And don't get me wrong, I give it a C-plus grade. But, you know, C-plus grades aren't the same for everyone. You know, for the Brainiac, a C-plus on a test is not so good. A C-plus for me, in math and science and physics and all that crap, well, I I would throw, you know, a a party for that. A C-plus for Boris in this... I give it that grade because he didn't get the average annual value. I get that he was instructed from Bryce to get a contract that would take him that would be his last contract. But I just have a hard time believing that Boris couldn't have sold him on the idea of taking something in the ten to eleven year range. Take it into the ten to eleven year range and that opens up the average annual value for a position player. I don't think the thirty-four million that Zach Ranky has, I don't think that's attainable. Not for not for the position player. But I think thirty-two point five Nolan Arenado topped it over Manny Machado shortly uh, shortly after Machado signed with the Padres. So I think if you were to go for, with the bare minimum thirty-two point six million average annual value for Bryce Harper, you give him ten years, you still top the. Uh, the largest free agent contract total ever, you get to 326. You you top over Machado. Or even if you go 11 years, you get 358.6 million over 11 years. And that's 28.6 more that the Phillies have to pay. But he's on your books for, for two years less. That takes him through his age 37 season. And as more information comes out, we hear Bryce talk, Bryce talk about Mike Trout and how he's going to be recruiting him. And Bryce mentioned during a radio interview that one of his pitches to any free agent will be the fact that they can get paid and also to ownership. It'll be a pitch that you got the team-friendly contract on the average annual value of you know 25 points something, whatever it comes out to, 30, 330 divided by 13. So maybe Bryce was more calculated than I initially thought on this my friend you know Hardy Korth, they were telling me you know just he was instructed in a way to do this that's Boris and uh, that's how they executed it so you know overall Is maybe it was a loss that Boris couldn't overcome but I think he uh I think he failed on this one because average annual value record he could go to so many clients here and Tell them that maybe they won't get the guaranteed years that Bryce does. But there are so many different clients that you can go to. And then you'll also, be at the negotiating table, be able to compare to different players, different position players, and say, this is how he stacks up against Bryce. This is how he should be paid on a shorter-term contract. And it, it just opens up a lot of possibilities at the negotiating table. And that's why I think it's a loss for Boris. Maybe it wasn't a winnable situation off Bryce's demands. Either way, you cut it. C-plus for Scott Boris on this one. Maybe this C-plus, maybe this would have been a higher grade for a different guy taking the test. But Scott Boris, I think, failed on this one. 330 over 13 for Bryce Harper. Okay, y'all, that's going to do it for Episode 9 here of the podcast. I got to hop on a jet here. I'm going down to Florida. Going to be watching some spring training. Going to go to Tampa Bay, check out the Yanks. Going to go over to Clearwater, see the Phillies, maybe even the Blue Jays in Dunedin. we got a lot uh, in a very confined space down there in Tampa, Florida. So I'm going to soak up the sun a little bit, see some baseball. Might be even take my first golf lesson this week. I'm not a golfer, not big on the sport, but uh, we'll see if that becomes a hobby or not or see if I even like it and probably will get frustrated um, to a high degree. But anyway, yeah. Hopping on jet here down to Florida. Hopefully when you listen to this, we might know something on like Antonio Brown. But before then, I want to get your thoughts um, on what you think about all these free agents. Kyler Murray, Drew Locke, where's going to sign? Is it feasible that he's a chief? I don't see it. What am I missing there? Hit up the text line, 816-226-7483. Or slide up in my DMs, at Pete4C. Follow me on Twitter. Snapchat, Instagram, probably will be putting some uh, some pics of what I see at the ball field on Snapchat and, uh, and Insta. So go ahead, follow me there. Give me some comments. Give me some questions. I hope you have a great weekend. Let me know what you think with all the free agent signs in the NFL and where we think they're going to sign. Have a great weekend.